Hi, I'm Kieran Cook, and welcome to At Source Podcast, a place where natural health and well-being are at the forefront of the conversation. Gain useful insights direct from the source from doctors, industry experts, wellness advocates, and everything in between. This is a place for busy people who want to get to the core of health and wellness with information about the latest health advances and trends. In this series, we talk with and learn from inspiring leaders from all walks of life, touching on important topics that will help answer some of the key questions about natural health, well-being, fitness, and all things direct from the source. Today on the Ad Source podcast, we have the CEO of Apiculture New Zealand, Karen Koss. Karen has a strong background in business communications going back 20 years, covering a variety of roles, including senior communications and marketing positions for corporate, government and primary sector organisations. She brings significant primary sector experience to this role, having worked at Seafood New Zealand as its communications manager and at the New Zealand Wool Board earlier in her career. In both these roles, Karen played a strong advocacy role, promoting these sectors on behalf of their members. A warm welcome to you, Karen. It's super to have you here on the At Source podcast. You're CEO of Apiculture New Zealand. And um, I know that today's conversation is going to be really interesting as we get to the heart of the questions and issues and the information around the apiculture industry and a little bit about your background. Obviously, you've come from a family horticultural business background and you've always enjoyed working in the primary sector. So I'm interested to um, hear a little bit about that. Um, I know that you've worked at Seafood New Zealand Um as, as the comms manager there and at the New Zealand World Board earlier in the career. So some really interesting roles there and particularly with you playing a strong advocacy role promoting these sectors um, on behalf of their members. Uh, so the journey continues with Apiculture New Zealand. So the first question that I wanted to ask you today was asking you about your journey, your advocacy journey. Can you just tell me how that all started? Look, it's interesting. I didn't exactly um, plan it. Um, Like a lot of people, I think I fell into the career. But if I go back to my primary sector, you know, where I started off, um, daughter of a hardworking Dutch immigrant family, you know, my father came to New Zealand with the aspirations of having his own business and having land. And so the love of land was really, really important to all of us as we were growing up. The fact that uh, he came from a very crowded country to a wonderful country like New Zealand with all of the possibilities and opportunities. And and so I guess from my perspective, it was just working on the land, enjoying what uh, could be done, you know, living in a farming and rural community as well. We lived on the outskirts of Rangatiki. And, and so I really uh, did enjoy what um, the primary sector was all about. And, and look, I guess fast forward, I was very fortunate to be seconded to Parliament quite early on um, at the tail end of the David Lange, uh government. And it was fascinating. I just loved it. I loved the, the toing and froing, the politics, the behind the scenes. I mean, it was a fascinating time. It was the nuclear free era. And it was also the era when people were going through a lot of troubles with uh, the economy. You know, the real problems with the economy, interest rates were through the roof. And I saw the value of people approaching their MPs, working with ministers to drive real change. And so that really made me realise, gosh, you know, you can play a really important role um, being closely connected to to Parliament and government, 
but I certainly wasn't one that wanted to stay in, in um, Parliament. And I actually still have colleagues that are still there today that, uh, you know, worked there many, many years ago. So my, my I joined the PR department of the War Board. I got um, approached to, to do that. And I just thought, what a great opportunity. You know, New Zealand wool, you can't beat it as a, as a product. And, uh, and I, I was very fortunate to have a very good boss who was a mentor to me. And I think that's probably the other thing, you know, just I've never actively planned my career, but I have been very fortunate to be in very supportive um, workplaces with really supportive mentors and, and bosses. And, and I think one of the things for me in the um, sort of the PR, the communications business, is there's the fun side. Uh, you know, we used to get um, journalists from overseas coming to New Zealand and we would have the opportunity to take them around the big farms, the big wool stations around the country and promote and showcase these, this wonderful fibre that was New Zealand wool and particularly merino wool at that time. And, and the other side, I think, of, of good comms and good comms training is the crisis and the issues management. Yeah, that's right. And you just can't beat that for training, um, but also just to understand actually a person who thinks um, strategically about the issues and how we might respond to them. That's probably been one of the best um, training elements for me in terms of supporting my sort of growth into advocacy, really. Mm. So that is very much in a nutshell where I've sort of landed over the years, but always, as you can see with that career, always with a really strong interest uh, in, in the primary sector and promoting what the primary sector of New Zealand offers. Yeah, look, you've summed that up really beautifully and um, I can sort of see exactly where you're coming from. I mean, and, and I know that your work with Apiculture New Zealand really does require you to be getting into the detail. <laughs> that you got to get drilled right into the detail to actually affect change. So I guess it would be interesting to know a little bit about Apiculture New Zealand and the work that you're doing there, you know, in the advocacy space, and I know, I know that you're busy with lots of things at the moment, having done a bit of research my side, and and I guess how you know Apiculture New Zealand supports the wider industry. Yeah, yeah. So, so Apiculture New Zealand is all things honey and bees, mm. and I guess if you look six years ago, um, there was a National Beekeepers Association and a whole lot of other little groups that sort of um, were not quite tied together, but but work together. So, so Apiculture New Zealand was all about bringing all of the parties together, you know, that single supply chain from the beekeeper to the marketer, the exporter to the supplier. And so I, did, I wasn't there when um, all of that work was done, but a very um, great group of people brought that together and brought the industry together under one roof, the, that's Apiculture New Zealand. And, and really it was designed so that we could have a stronger voice at, at the table. So we could actually have a stronger voice in how we approached uh, key, uh, key government agencies like the Ministry for Primary Industries and, and also ministers, whether it's uh, finance, whether it's foreign affairs, uh, whether it's MPI. So, so that um, was born out of a real realisation that actually we're only going to be effective as an organisation if we speak from one voice and we bring the, the, the whole team together. And, and so our advocacy role there is around supporting our members when it comes to issues um, that, that may crop up, whether it's um, a market access issue, um, whether it's, it's the health of bees, 
Um, it's about promoting a good, um, good bee welfare with our members. But it's very much about having that strong, united voice at the table where it counts. And, and I guess I'd like to give you just one example. Um, bees have always been part of the primary sector, but are almost sort of a bit of a on the side. You know, beekeepers call themselves landless farmers. One of the very good things that um, our chair, who still is our chair, uh, Bruce Wills did, was bring the apiculture industry, bring apiculture in New Zealand into the Food and Fibres um, Forum, Leaders Forum, which is a group of all of the primary sector groups from horticulture, from beef and lamb, from dairy, and actually brought the bees to the table. And, and I know when I first joined, they were going, oh, why are bees here? And then in actual fact, if you look at the role um, that the bee industry plays, particularly with pollination and farming and horticulture, and very soon the realisation was actually we need to be at the table, but also we share the same issues. Mm, that's really um, interesting. And, and, and it how is, is it, how's it working? Just like how's that evolved over time? It's, it's really It's been really helpful, uh, particularly for a small primary sector like ourselves, because if we have an issue, for example, everyone is facing the issue at the moment of not being able to get enough skilled people. And our industry has grown phenomenally over the years. And while we're certainly investing in, in our local New Zealanders, young New Zealanders through apprenticeship schemes, frankly, we're short of well-skilled uh, beekeepers. And so we do depend on these uh, beekeepers coming from overseas. And, and I guess we've been able to join the wider group to really press that point home that we need to, that this government needs to look at that more broadly uh, to support the primary sector. Yes, I have actually met quite a few um, foreign beekeepers, interestingly, in, yes. in the time that I've sort of moved around the country. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I hear what you're saying. Just so, so one of the challenges you've had is um, back in 2019 was the the proposition of a commodity levy, right? Mm-hmm. That's one little piece there that's been a challenge. So where are you at with that at the moment? So a very disappointing to not succeed and get that over the line. Um, we worked hard to do it, but it came at a time when uh, the market, which had been going gangbusters, you know, we yes. talked about the, the gold, the gold yes. rush, yes. went gangbusters, but then there was a correction that year, and so that unfortunately impacted on the, the outcome. So as a result, we're a voluntary organisation, the Apiculture New Zealand, and look, I'll be absolutely honest, it's not great. I look with jealousy at some of my other uh, colleagues in the other sectors who are able to go to government with um, to, to, to really get some decent funding because they can support government funding with industry funding. So um, we made a point of raising it at conference, particularly yes. this year. Yep. We had um, Jen Schooler from Avocados New Zealand present and really talk about the realities of uh, what a commodity levy's been able to do for them. So, look, it's not going to happen straight away, but um, it is one of our strategic platforms. We absolutely know we have to look at funding, long-term funding, so we can do, do the leveraging that everyone else does. I mean, as an example, we're one of uh, we're two. There are two primary sectors that don't have a levy: one strong wool, one's the honey industry. So I don't, I don't want to be in that club anymore. No, no, and you're working really hard to obviously leverage it 
And, yeah. I, you know, as you say, honey's on the world stage, honey from New Zealand, particularly manuka honey. Um, but, I mean, I also see a lot of what you're doing is, um, you know, hugely in the education space and you're lifting the profile of, of honey, but just not just not manuka honey, right? You've yes. got rata yeah. and, and other sort of honeys, pohutakawa honeys as well, uh, clover honeys and so forth. But it isn't the gold rush, you're right, with the beekeepers and challenges that there are now, you know, being paid per kilo substantially less, right, mm-hmm. than they were during, um, what, COVID and so forth. So there's been a bit of, you know, dropout, I guess, or fallout since COVID, some challenges there um, with the pandemic having an impact, right, on, on beekeeping, beekeepers, honey production, um, and also seen in the uh, you know agriculture and horticultural sectors. So that whole you know wider primary industry sector has been hit hard. What would you say the biggest changes have been that you know you've had to weather in the apiculture industry? But look, it's quite interesting. If you actually look at our exports, our market exports, they went. Do they increase thirty percent during COVID lockdown? Okay, and so. You know, that's the good job that Manuka Honey has been doing in terms of the promotion around the world. So, uh, you know, our consumers, and and not just, um, you know, existing consumers, but new consumers, we're looking at how can we sort of get health and wellbeing products that can support us. And so we saw a huge um, drive for honeys, particularly New Zealand Manuka Honeys, um, on, on the global stage. What were the biggest uh, markets for Manuka during that the, time? The biggest markets were Japan, China and uh, the UK. Okay. Because yeah. I, had, I had also heard that the UAE, there was strong demand in the UAE. The UAE is continuing to grow as well. That's another growing market for us. So, look, we saw this huge increase um, in the, the COVID year in 2020. Uh, it'd be fair to say that that's tailed off. Uh, but underlying all of that is the, as you've rightly pointed out, is the issue of uh, some of the other honeys just not uh, commanding the, 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 the premium that, frankly, we think that they deserve. So whether it's your kamahi, your ratas, your tauris, I mean, I travel the country and taste these amazing honeys. Um, there's a cost to producing those and, you know, they the beekeepers deserve the premiums, I think, particularly on the world stage for those honeys. And so Apiculture New Zealand, um, we did approach um, the New Zealand story and they actually did some great work to support us with the video and with some some really practical tools and um, advertising materials that any beekeeper in New Zealand, any exporter in New Zealand can tap into just to promote some of those honeys. You know, but un- underneath all of that, we, ha- we would not be in the position where we are today, which where we have this... Uh, fantastic international recognition for New Zealand honeys if we didn't have Manuka honey. I think that is our premium product and there is still a lot of room and opportunity to grow that product as, as we've seen in the UAE, for example. Yes. Has, has Manuka and glyphosate put the two together? Um, there's been some challenges, obviously, getting the honey into Japan. So where are we at with that? So, so Japan came onto our um, marketplace at the start of the year and um, tested some of the honeys and found very few, but a few, that's all you need, were over there, very strict limits. They have very strict limits for glyphosate and honey. 
And so um, we were given some time to uh, ensure our honeys were well tested. And actually, it's gone very well. There were a couple that um, slipped through, but there's been no issue with glyphosate um, traced in honey to Japan. But obviously, you know, it's a premium product and um, international audiences do get a little bit spooked by it. And so we've just had to really look at the issue, work closely with MPI, work closely with the minister, who were really supportive in helping us deal with, with that particular issue. And um, we still talk to, I know that on behalf of um, our industry, MPI still talk to the regulators. But look, it's business as usual. You know, that's the thing. We've adjusted. We have worked through the issue. Uh, and honey is still selling very well to Japan. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. I mean, I've had a little bit of first-hand experience just with our um, one of our health food suppliers where, you know, a, a good chunk of business was thwarted um, just with that issue with, you know, exporting um, very high UMF honey up to Japan. Yeah. Um, and, and in reality, you know, there just wasn't um, enough of it to be really an issue, but it, it was blowing up, would you say, in the media, possibly a, a bit, you know, a bit too big. Yeah, look, it, it was. Um, I think that we deal, you know, you know what it's like. You have to deal with the issues as they come up. And I guess from my perspective, having that sort of communications, issues management, all of that sort of training that you, that you have, um, we have a great story to tell, but you do have to deal with the issues and find ways to manage those issues. And we very quickly worked with government um, who were really supportive with us just in terms of dealing, dealing with it. But at the end of the day, it is a... Um, it's a consumer perception issue. It's not a health issue at all. Yes, yeah, that's and, right. And we have to deal with it. And, you know, it's a, it's a primary sector deals with this kind of thing all the time. And, and I guess um, what we're pleased to see is that the, um, the Environmental Protection Authority is now looking at glyphosate and looking at glyphosate in use throughout New Zealand to get a better understanding of how it is used in, in the environment. And I think all of that helps us with a better understanding of it. That's right. And look, even even the beekeeper, which I've brought in here today, I love that. You know, I get that to my letterbox. And you're right, mm. it, it's such a useful um, publication and that it does sort of tackle some of the harder issues. It gives you the information that you need. Um, I know that you've just come off the back of conference, right? Mm. And I just wondered how that went and what the general feeling was in the industry. Overall, you know, with beekeepers and exporters, um, because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of issues in the industry. And I was just sort of interested in the feedback you're getting from, you know, the sector and, and farmers. Yeah. So, look, first up, um, we went into this conference uh, doing uh, two, having plan A and plan B. So if COVID hit, we had plan D and B and we could go online. And I have to say, when the um, issue hit in Wellington, the, uh, the COVID issue, there was a bit of, oh, my goodness, moment, are we going to run this? But um, it all went to plan. We had 1,020 people attend conference, which is absolutely fantastic, given the environment that we're in, given it is tough times for uh, particularly those beekeepers who don't have access to manuka honey, given COVID. Um, and it was a really good mix of time for people to catch up and just have a chat about the issues. Uh, time to celebrate those wonderful honeys that won awards, 
Um, but also, I think for the beekeepers who hadn't caught up together for a year, and remember, beekeeping is a pretty isolated, you know, like farmers, you're operating on your own a lot. Yes. And so the fact that they can get together and they can have a, have a chat about what's going on, and I think realise we're all in the same boat here, um, I think was really important. And I, I really appreciated the fact that I think the industry knows actually we're only going to succeed if we work together. We're only going to succeed if we look at ways for how we can support the industry body, um, support funding, you know. So so there's some very good, um, like you're right, there's a lot of issues, but I think we are heading in, in the right direction. That's encouraging to hear. Um yeah, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think how I would sort of phrase this. I mean, you sort of talk about the collaboration of beekeepers, but I mean, one of the challenges that we have, and you, you know, is that there are too many hives out there, right? And and bees aren't getting fed, and you know, there's not always the consideration, you know, around the number of hives at a place, particularly in the middle of the North Island. There's a bit of an issue there at the moment, so it's not terribly well regulated so how do you as a as a sort of as a governing body as an industry body mm-hmm. work with beekeepers to manage that and to create the, the space that bees need and to keep them healthy the bees healthy and obviously have the, the beekeepers the farmers earning a living a living wage yeah look there's a, there's a couple of things that that, that we do um, the first is obviously every beekeeper does have to be registered because of the AFB through the AFB pest management act and so um, the agency um, makes ensures that every beekeeper is registered our part is to educate and inform and when you look at the huge increase in beekeepers um, there's about 10,000 beekeepers today it's over 6,000 are hobbyists people tend to forget that actually there's a lot of people in New Zealand that just have one or two hives. So um, we encourage, you know, most of the clubs are part of Apiculture New Zealand, and we'd always encourage any new beekeeper to join a club first up because there's just so much that they can learn. But we've also taken to providing tools on the table, you know, so through our uh, website, uh, whether it's webinars, whether it's just some, some um, we call it a Bee Smart toolkit for our members. Yep, seen um, that. Just some, yeah. just some practical things that beekeepers can do. Um, but we've also introduced a we introduced a code of conduct. I think that was the second year at BNZ was in place, and we're just in the process. We've just drafted a um, bee welfare code of practice, and so that's something that we'll take around the industry to say, hey, looking after your bees has to be number, the number one priority. If we don't have healthy bees, we are not going to have wonderful those wonderful honeys that we produce. Mm. So, so our job, I think, as the sort of national body is really about promoting that good bee health and promoting that good practice. Um, and, and look, people are open to it. I think you're absolutely right. There's been issues with overcrowding, with boundary stacking, and that's not a good look for us. That's not a good look for our industry. And at the end of the day, actually, it's detrimental to bee health. And if you don't have good bee health, you don't you don't get the honey production levels that you should and can expect. Mm, you know, and it's hard enough, isn't it, with seasonal change and weather pattern changes. Yeah, right? I mean, just look at the, the last couple of times we've had flooding. Yes, um, we're just right. in the process of talking to our hubs and uh, around the Marlborough region, you know, how can we help, what can we do? 
uh, Canterbury not so long ago, the floods there. So, so those all put pressures on, on our sector, along with the, the, the wider rural sector. And again, I think that's where the national body comes into its own. You know, it's about looking after the industry. And I think I'd have to say with COVID-19, the fact that we were an essential service, the fact that APNZ was out there making sure beekeepers could operate and could travel and, and marketers could sell their honey, you know, if you don't have a if you don't have a national body doing that, um, it's a very sad day indeed. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in terms of um, you know, New Zealanders actually everyday New Zealanders, lay people, just supporting the apiculture sector. I mean, we've got World Bee Day, we've got you know, Bee Awareness Week. Um, yep. I mean, those month. those month months. So yes. those 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 um, milestones are great because people rally around and communities get together and schools get together and there's always some really fun activities but what can we do on a daily basis to support yeah yeah right because that's where it really counts yeah just just for your for for people in their backyards just making sure actually that they do have they plant the flowers they plant them whether it's the wildflowers whether it's the herbs like lavender um the citrus trees you know the native trees just make sure there are plants around so that bees can actually have access to uh, to the pollen and the nectar and and don't underestimate the water sources either for bees you know bees actually need quite a lot of water so a fresh water sources is, is always appreciated so I, I think there's the, there's the practical things that they can do. And look, when it comes to spraying programs, you know, if people have to spray, just think about the bees. Spray when the flowers are closed, spray in the early morning or, or, or the when it's sort of the evening yeah. when, when the bees are in, in the hive. So, so there are some really practical things that we encourage people to do. And look, you know, that's what the beauty of having something like Be Aware Month is actually it's a really good opportunity to just go and remind people about all those things that they can be doing um, even if they don't need to, you know they don't need to have a beehive um, but actually they can think about the bees mm. how how um, sort of real do you think secondary bee business is to our um, economy and I'm thinking about propolis because we're talking a lot about honey today but mm. I'm thinking about propolis and I'm, I'm thinking about royal jelly and I'm thinking about bee pollen as well so yeah. you know how, how sort of what what can you know we do to perhaps help grow those secondary businesses for beekeepers who might so again, find honey think, production challenging? Yeah, so again, that's where research investment comes in, and that's um, that requires significant R and D, but it's worth it. And I think what um, some of my bigger uh, members will say to me, you know, maybe in ten to fifteen years' time, our core um, product may not be honey in a pottle it will be the it will be the um, nutraceuticals it'll be the the beauty products it'll be the propolis products and we're starting to see that that happen now but again to really move that along um, we need to invest in R&D as an industry and and some companies do but I think that's a that's another step that we could do with with industry funding. Mm. So, I mean, how far away are we from that kind of um, opportunity, do you think? And, and who would potentially fund that R&D? So that, that would be where you, you'd actually approach government. You'd do the leveraging. You'd go to government and say, hey, look, um, 
the industry's prepared to fund this amount, could you top it up with, uh, you know, so there's some great funds, for example, the SFFF fund run by MPI, where they're actually looking to do innovative things, Callaghan Institute looking to do innovative things. Um, again, Karen, it requires a levy, it requires that funding, and I think that the environment's not quite right yet, but I think it will be. I think that's something I would look to be putting, um, look to seriously have in place in the next five years at least. Because yeah. there's got to be tremendous opportunity in, in Asia, right, for some of these products. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and you just look at um, what's, uh, you know, you look at all the products these days that you see that have Manuka Health, uh, sorry, Manuka, Manuka honey, honey in them. In them. You know, That's you've, right. You've got, you've got beauty products, you've got uh, supplements. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, there was a recent article in Stuff um, about uh, just beekeeping practice and so forth. And it was interesting. I sort of smiled because I saw reference to the healing sort of antibacterial properties of manuka being summed up as a bit of an old wives' tale. But there's a tremendous amount of research that's come out of the University of Waikato, for example, um, around the benefits of manuka honey, some really academic papers, some heavy-duty academic papers. I've read a few of them. So, I mean, it's not a myth. It's actually an age-old fact, isn't it, that manuka honey has incredible healing properties. Yeah, I think, you know, we've got to be very careful and and rightly so that um, when you sell manuka honey in a bottle as as a honey, you can't claim the health benefits because there actually has not been enough research done into the health claims of of ingesting the honey, but there certainly has been some wonderful research, like you say, coming out of Waikato about application, topical application. Mm, That's right. Medicinal manuka honey. Yes. And those are um, still very exciting. There's still a lot to do. But gosh, wouldn't it be wonderful to actually have some research that definitively shows that actually when you ingest the honey, um, these it, it, it's great for your, you know, for your for your health. Um, and and that work still needs to be done. Mm. And it's mm. more to do with it being a food, isn't it? From a yes, regulatory yeah. point of view, yes, yeah, yeah. Food, yeah. food, but massive opportunity, as you say. Yeah. To get into that. Um, okay, well, it sounds good. So with many years in the corporate space, you've obviously had some different roles. I saw you with the IRD. Um, you've been um, – well, actually, you've been you've been around and done some really interesting things. You've um, been with Iris Communications and, of course, Seafood New Zealand. And you've met so many different people working on a ton of different projects. What would mm-hmm. you say has been your career highlights? Or one of them or two of them? Look, I, I would have to say probably two, but the, the first one would be um, I've always been in the um, communications advocacy space as the marketing or the communications manager, and to step up to a chief executive role um, is, I won't, I won't deny it, it's one of the <laughs> hardest things I've ever had to do, um, but it was, it's been a fantastic opportunity, and to be able to promote and stand up for an industry and, and a product that you really believe in. You can't beat that. Um, I was in China a couple of years ago talking to the Chinese beekeeping industry because they they love what we do. Um, and just to be able to stand up and showcase what we do, you know, aside from all the problems, we, we are very, very good at what we do here in New Zealand in terms of, of our beekeeping practices. So that's probably the other highlight. And the other one was, as part of Iris Communications, many years ago, um, Viv Beck and myself went out and wrote a book. Uh, We were still working. We were working for New Zealand Post. 
And we wrote a book about Julia Makes Her Move. And it was really, we were working with a lot of amazing young women who may not have had the university um, education, but they were they were hard workers. They were absolutely passionate about their careers. And it was just designed to give them a bit of a steer about how they could um, I guess, pursue their career and grow into a management role and some of the pitfalls. So um, we travelled the country with that. We appeared on Breakfast TV with that. It was it was a really fun thing to do. And, and I think um, Viv and I do occasionally talk about um, should we do something else? And we may well do something else, actually. That was really enjoyable. That sounds like a lot of fun. Can I just take you back? You, you, you um, piqued my interest when you talked about beekeeping in China. Because in general, consumer perception is that, um, you know, the Chinese don't understand beekeeping. But from what I've learned, uh, there are regions in China, one of them is Dalian, uh, for example, um, which I've heard is like the Paris of China. Um, yes. But I would just love to hear from you some of the things that you observed over there with Chinese beekeeping practice. And I guess, can you dispel the myths about clean and green and space for bees to be moving and pollinating what did you find over there? So, look, I, I was only there for a week, so it wasn't wasn't very very long, and it was very much in, in big halls, talking to um, beekeepers and and talking to Chinese in the industry. But you know, don't underestimate their um, professionalism and quest for learning. They were absolutely keen to see how um, some of the best practice operations we had that they could implement. But equally, they were investing a lot of money in some parts of the country just in terms of their beekeeping operations. But also looking at the whole trade supply, uh, so looking at Bitcoin and the use of Bitcoin and how they would trade around the world. So um, it's actually a lot more sophisticated than, than you think. Having said that, Beekeeping is still quite a basic um, operation in China for a lot of a lot of places. Certainly not at the levels um, that of New Zealand sort of operations at all. And why is that? I think it's just so so big, and you know, there's just it's, it's a massive country, and so different areas have different areas of expertise. Uh, so, it's like you say, some areas are, are very strong on on. Beekeeping, other areas will be very strong on, on um, technology. So, um, you know, it's such a massive sort country. of siloed, yes, really yeah, siloed. Yeah yeah, 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 that does make sense just given the size. So, obviously, you sound like you're pretty busy and stepping up as uh, chief executive at Apiculture New Zealand's obviously given you a lot of richness and um, so ways for you to sort of pursue your energies and talents. How do you keep a work life balance, just on a personal note? I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I do it very badly at times, I'll be honest. Um, you know, I do think the, the good old Dutch work ethic, I will work very, very hard to get what needs to be done. But I have certainly learned because I've had to, um, if I've, you know, to retain the energy, I've got to invest in my in my health. So um, I've always been, um, I've always been a runner. I can't run anymore, but I'll certainly swim and I'll certainly walk up the hills. I live in Eastbourne and just being able to walk up the hills with, with my family and my friends, um, that, that keeps me fit. But I've learned to um, I've learned to set aside time to to exercise. Um, funnily enough, um, after working in market gardens for all those years, I'll be really frank. I, I didn't want to garden for about twenty years. Okay, it was just like no, it was it was hard work. 
but I have in the last, probably about the last sort of five years, I've really invested in my own gardening and I love it. Ah. And I love producing my own produce and, and sharing it with, with family and with neighbours. So um, it's, it's, it's the small things that count for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally get that. And um, it's nice that you've been able to kind of return to the land, yes. right? <laughs> I was going to ask you way back in the beginning when we first started talking about your um, background on the land, whether you actually got stuck in and worked on the land. Well, not for many, many years. But you did back in the day. <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely. Goodness, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. So what advice would you give to a young woman out there who's thinking about getting into advocacy, particularly in the primary sector? Look, I think if you want to get into advocacy, uh, particularly in the primary sector, you don't necessarily have to get into the communications or the advocacy role straight away. Find a way to get in. And quite often it's those who have found a way to get in that might be working on the ground initially um, that can actually find a way to get a career path in one of the industry groups, you know, and make connections. You know, the uh, social media connections are great, the LinkedIn, they're all great, but also make some personal connections with people that you admire and that you look up to and that you can learn from. And I think that, that for me has held me in really good stead. Yeah, I sort of picked that up, that you'd been fortunate enough to just have some really aspirational leaders that have sort of shaped you and, um, you know, that's a, it's a privilege to be able to say that you had that more than once. Yeah, yeah. So I guess just the final question uh, today would be, throughout your years, what is the most important life lesson you've learned after oh, all of this? You can't do it alone. I think, do you know, I think sometimes, um, particularly women, take everything on their shoulders. We take life very seriously. Um, you can't do it alone. You've got to depend on a really good team around you. And that includes your team that you work with. And I make sure I have fabulous people that support and work with me. But also your team at home, you know, mm, that's whether right. it's your partner, whether it's your kids. Um, I've always always been very fortunate in in the understanding that mum works and has a serious job, and um, that's important. But uh, you do need the bigger, the wider team to support you. Yeah, that's such a good a good answer. And as they say, it takes a village to raise a child. So why should it be any different, yeah. right? And 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 exactly. the other domains of our working life. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say thanks, um, Karen. It's been great to talk to you. It's actually nice to see your face because I read the Beekeeper magazine every month and I'm sorry Thank I missed you. the conference. I hope to make the next one, actually. Well, come um, to Christchurch next year. Yeah, well, that would be good. We've got a lot, a lot happening for us down in Christchurch at HB. So it would be uh, lovely to be there. And, um, you know, it's been really insightful, actually, just a deeper dive into, into the industry. And um, I hope that we can sort of pick this up again at another stage love to thank you so much thanks for tuning in and joining our conversation and stay tuned for more episodes please rate review and subscribe check out the show notes if you'd like to contact this episode's interviewee at source podcast does not accept any liability for the results of any actions taken or not taken upon the basis of information in this podcast or for any errors or omissions those acting upon information do so entirely at their own risk We recommend that you seek professional assistance from certified doctors for your health and well-being issues.